Hey, what's up? And thanks for listening to the Aaron J. Dodson podcast. This is the podcast where I discuss the sacred text of God's Word, and I do my best to help myself and others understand it so that we might keep God's law and that we might observe it with our whole hearts. This episode is a continuation of our study together from the Gospel according to Matthew. If you would, get your Bible and look with me at Matthew chapter 12. The episode will come from Matthew chapter 12 as we look together at the subject of rejection and rebellion, particularly the rejection and the rebellion of Israel. Israel rejected Jesus and they rebelled against God. They were no doubt rebellious toward God even before Jesus came to earth. And I'm speaking in a general sense the nation as a whole. And we see a lot of this in our day and time where the masses at large are rejecting God. They are rejecting Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of God. And they are in rebellion against God. And the more our hearts and minds are uh, in tune with God's will, we have a tendency, I think, I know I do, to look at the ways of the world, to look at the rejection and the rebellion uh, that's in the world and think, how could they be that way? But we always need to keep in mind that before we became Christians, we were rebellious toward God. We rejected Christ. And Paul the Apostle would remind the evangelist Titus that we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Titus 3, verse 3. So we too were once that way. So what is it that changes a person? It's Jesus. It's his principles, his power, his person. And I'm going to look at those three main ideas uh, with you from the text of Matthew 12. When we get to Matthew 12, uh, Jesus is full steam ahead into his ministry, and it details there uh, the way that the people as a whole, the nation of Judah, rejected Jesus as the Son of God. Now, before I start the actual text, and there are 50 verses, and I intend to read many, if not all of them, I want to remind us that Matthew is the gospel account written by a Jew to Jews about a Jew. Matthew is the writer. His fellow Jews are the readers, and Jesus Christ is his subject. And what Matthew is trying to do is present Jesus as the king of the Jews, the long-awaited Messiah. And he does this in his book, as we call it, in his letter, in his gospel account, through a carefully selected series of Old Testament quotes. He documents Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. Matthew writes about his genealogy, his baptism, his messages, and his miracles, and how these all point to the same conclusion, Christ is king. Even in Jesus' death, which seemed to be defeat, he turned to victory 
by his resurrection. And so the truth continues to echo forth, continues to go full steam ahead. The king of the Jews lives. God's son is alive. And that makes me think of a song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. And recently, one of our brothers here in the home congregation where I'm at led that before I got up to preach, and it pumped me up. I love the words of that song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Well, let's think together about Matthew chapter 12, and we consider the rejection and the rebellion of the nation of Israel. I won't be covering every verse in great detail, but we will be looking at three main areas of rebellion by the nation of Israel. Remember, they were the ones who had the scriptures. They had the covenants of God. They had the promises. They were advantaged because they had these things. Yet, for the most part, they so quickly rejected Jesus, they so, it seems, easily turned him away, turned him down. Matthew chapter 12, we'll begin with verses 1 through 21, as we consider together rebellion against Jesus' principles. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, They said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple Profane, the idea is desecrate the Sabbath and are blameless. Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let's pause there. There have been a lot of things said about this section of Scripture. But at this point in time in my study, I am still convinced that Jesus is using David as an example of one who did break the law. No doubt he was in need, but he did what was unholy. He did what was unlawful. He was not authorized to eat that bread. I have read where some try to argue that because of the circumstances, the priest was authorized to give this bread to people who were hungry and were who in and who were in need. That may sound good, but I have not been convinced by the one passage that is used in the book of Deuteronomy about helping the poor. That that means it, that that meant it was okay for them to to give away this holy bread because. Jesus said that David did what was unlawful, verse 4. So I'm still still of the persuasion that that David did what was unlawful. The thing is, we ask, why would Jesus use David as an example then? Because they held David up high and they did not condemn him in this matter. That's what I believe. 
Jesus asked the question, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest and the temple profane or desecrate the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So it looks to me that Jesus is contrasting those who were guilty with his disciples, that they were not guilty. They were guiltless. They had not done anything wrong. Jesus is teaching here that they are innocent. What happened is that Jesus and his disciples broke the rules of the Sabbath that the religious leaders had made. I do not believe for one moment that Jesus broke the actual rules of the Sabbath that God gave. If, if he had broken those rules, Jesus would be a sinner. And I do not believe in you know some type of view of morality like situation ethics. Because he was hungry, he didn't have to obey God. He didn't have to follow those rules. <clears throat> Because Jesus lived by God's principles, the religious leaders who were supposed to be upholding God's principles did not appreciate him because their principles went beyond what God had required. And we see that in the gospel accounts. Jesus was often under the scrutiny of the hypocritical religious leaders of his day. For example, being falsely accused of violating the Sabbath. And we see this furthered in verses 9 through 14. Now, when he, Jesus, had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Or... Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. The principles of Jesus were from the Father. And their principles, though they professed to be doing God's, so often their principles were not God's principles. Their principles were human and sinful in origin. <clears throat> Tradition in and of itself is not good or bad. They, those traditions in and of themselves are amoral. But when traditions are taught and people hold those traditions to be God's standard, then those individuals are binding where God has not bound. And I believe that was the case here and in other cases. And Jesus called them out for that. Jesus would say uh, on different occasions, you hold your traditions, and in holding your traditions, you transgress God's command, Matthew fifteen three, and other places. He basically said to them, uh, according to Mark's account, Mark chapter 7, he didn't basically say, he said that they laid aside the commandment of God by holding their tradition. So when traditions are held above the word of God, we are condemned for it. We're in sin. We're in error away from God. Notice again, the rebellion against Jesus' principles. Jesus' principles were these. 
God allowed for them to eat the heads of grain. They had not so sinned. They were guiltless. God provided a way for them to even pluck the heads of grain when they were in need on the Sabbath. But yet they had their rules and they said, Jesus, you have broken them. And they, they acted, they held their traditions to the level of God's word. I think that's the great problem here. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 27, if you'll look there with me. Matthew chapter 12. Now I said verse 22. I'll just read 15 up to 22 so we won't miss anything. But when Jesus knew it, that is, that the Pharisees plotted against him, verse 14, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the, to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles would trust. That's work that Messiah would do that God uh, spoke of through Isaiah the prophet. Beginning with verses 22 through 37, we'll consider together the rebellion of the people against Jesus' power. Then one was brought to him, to Jesus, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds a strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy, the word means to speak against, will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words 
you will be condemned. Jesus healed a man demon-possessed. The guy was blind and mute. And that caused the Pharisees to charge Jesus of being in league with the devil. That is, working his miracles, not by the Spirit or the power of God, but by the aid of the prince of the devils. And Jesus rebukes that idea as preposterous. That's ridiculous. He says, Every kingdom that's divided against itself will be brought to desolation. If he was casting out demons by the power of Satan, he would be casting himself out. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself and his kingdom won't stand. If I'm working for Satan, I wouldn't cast out demons. Wow. Rebellion against Jesus' power. Jesus' power was on full display. And yet people still had free will and did reject it, rebelled against it. Jesus warns them that no forgiveness was available to those who so speak against the Spirit because it was by the Spirit that he did these things. Jesus warned that there was no forgiveness available to those who so speak against the Spirit and who remain in such a heart condition. You see, there's no forgiveness available to one who perpetuates the lie that Jesus' power is not from God, but from Satan. You, you can't be forgiven in that condition because that condition prevents someone from coming to Jesus and acknowledging and appreciating him for who he is. Mark's account might be helpful also in understanding and appreciating the depth of this. Mark chapter 3, I'll just reference three verses there. Mark three twenty-eight to 30, where Jesus said the same thing, according to Mark, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Verse 30, Mark comments by inspiration, Because they said, He has an unclean spirit. And the idea there is because they continued to say this. This was a continual, this was not just a one-time deal. This was a state of mind and heart that continued among these religious leaders. And therefore, there was no forgiveness for them. The same concept is true today. Though we can't witness a miracle, if we attribute the miracles of Jesus that are recorded in Scripture to Satan, we are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And in such a condition, there's no forgiveness. Like you've rejected the anointed one of God, the one who's revealed the truth, the Holy Spirit, about the Holy One of God, the Messiah. And so again, rebellion against Jesus' principles, rebellion against Jesus' power. And now let's focus on Matthew 12, verses 38 through 50. Rebellion against Jesus' person, that is, the person of Jesus. Look with me at verse 38. <clears throat> then some of the scribes, after Jesus gave these uh, woes, this, uh, these uh, war words of warning, I should say, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. 
Well, he had already shown them a sign. Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, that's from long ago when Jonah helped them to deliver, uh, be delivered from destruction. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, remember her? She came to see Solomon from, from Sheba. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. That's in 1 Kings chapter 10. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this generation. Verse 46, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and, and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Rebellion against the person of Jesus. The people of Jesus' day, they sought a sign to soothe their desires. It wasn't them looking for evidence. Jesus had already been giving evidence. Many of them had already seen him perform a sign. Therefore, Jesus calls them an evil an adulterous generation. And very briefly, Jesus reviews their history in verses, um, well, 42 through 45, I think. We, I could, Jesus, what he does first <clears throat> is he reviews their history by, by referencing, I guess we could really go back to verse 41. He, he mentions the people of Nineveh. You know, God's people interacted with them through, through Jonah. He says, look, the people of Nineveh and the queen of the south, they will rise up against you all, my generation. They'll condemn you all because the people of Nineveh and the queen, they were penitent. But the people of my day, they're impenitent. They will not change their hearts. And then he reveals their hearts, verses 43 to 45. The nation that was so rebellious that, that had Jesus right there in their presence, they were like a man whose house was swept, wherein an unclean spirit would return, bringing 
more severe unclean spirits to dwell within them. The nation did not see their own need for justification through God's Messiah. Consider with me, same account, Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And we need to be so careful that, that we're not blind to our own need. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. That was a man who was hated because he was seen as a traitor taking up collections for the Romans. Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why wouldn't he? Jesus, when he heard that, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Matthew 9, 9 through 13. <clears throat> the nation as a whole did not see their own need for justification through God's Messiah. That's a great lesson for us to learn. If we do not see our great need for salvation through God's Messiah, we are doomed. We're damned. We're condemned. There's no hope. Instead of looking to the Messiah and listening and learning from Him, they rejected the Redeemer and destruction became their end. That's Matthew 12, verses 43 to 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this, so shall it also be with this wicked generation. They had the opportunity right there before them. But all they would do is sweep their house and put it in order. They didn't put in what was necessary. They didn't listen and learn from the Messiah. And so Jesus reviews their history. He reveals their hearts. And he rejected their honor. By Jesus emphasizing God's family over his own. He's teaching them that true honor comes from God and being a part of God's family, not from being a part of any physical family, such as the Jews. You remember Jesus' own family. They did not understand him. John 7, verses 1 through 5. And some of his own friends, according to Mark's account, Mark three twenty one, they thought he was mad. But Jesus' work was based upon honoring God. He did not seek nor want honor from people. He didn't want honor, praise, or glory from people. Instead, he pointed his followers to the Father in heaven. He declared that those who do the Father's will are his brothers, his sister, 
his sisters and his mothers. And in all of this, Jesus was always most concerned about doing the Father's will. And we must be like Jesus. We're to have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, 5. Jesus said, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And yet, as a whole, they rejected his person. They rejected him for who he is. And that is so very sad. I've wondered over and over. I have questioned. I have scrutinized. Why, 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 why did they not see the need for him? Why, why, why did they not come and live, or excuse me, listen and learn from the Messiah? The only answer I can think of is Matthew chapter 9 that I've already read, verses 12 and 13. They didn't listen and learn from him because those who are well don't need a doctor. They thought they were okay where they were. Who does need a doctor? Those who are sick. And Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. It means that God wants people not to merely outwardly profess to serve Him, but people that are sincere and genuine believing from the heart. Both are necessary. Sincerity from the heart and obedience to the truth. God desired mercy and not sacrifice that was just acts on the outside, but instead acts to please God from the heart. And it's still true that the Father, His will is for all of us to obey Jesus' principles, to respect His power. If we don't respect His power, we won't obey His principles. And He wants us to believe in His person, believe in Him. And not just believe in Him, but believe Him. He desires that we come to Him for rest from sin. We've been in Matthew chapter 12, but just a few verses before in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus had made this great invitation or given this great invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, or meek, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And when we come to Jesus, we learn what He taught. We learn to come to Him in faith, being repentant of our sins, changing our heart about sin, being people of confession who confess our faith, Romans 10.10, that we believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead. And people who believe in that power of the resurrection so much that we will allow God to do His work by arising and being baptized and washing away our sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts 22.16. And that is undergoing the operation of God, 
Paul wrote, Colossians 2.12, Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Do you truly believe that Jesus is God's Son, the Lord, and that he, he died on the cross for your sins, he was buried, and God raised him on the third day? If you do, then you must come to him repenting of your sins, Acts 2.38, Acts 17.30, 2 Peter 3.9. He commands all people everywhere to repent, confessing your faith that Jesus is Lord, Romans 10.10, where Paul wrote in that mighty chapter of unbelief, of an unbelieving nation, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confessing what? Verse 9. <clears throat> Confessing the Lord Jesus and believing in their heart, in your heart, that God raised him from the dead. If you do this, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And as one who confesses Jesus as Lord, because they believe that Jesus is, has been raised from the dead, they believe in the power of God, and they're buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith and the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. See, to come to, 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 come to Jesus, it requires that we do these principles, that we follow these principles that I've so outlined in this Matthew chapter 12 that we respect um, you know, his principles, his power, and his person. And instead of trying to make our own way, we respect that he is the way, John 14, 6, and that there is no other way, Acts 4, 12. And so Jesus requires that we respond in genuine trusting faith. We must trust that he will do what he says if we do from the heart what he says we must do. One of my favorite passages is, cha is Romans chapter 6, and I'll end with this. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, reviewing the conversion of the Christians at Rome. He says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been then set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Folks, they went from being slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness at the point they obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. That form of doctrine is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, I've declared this gospel to you, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the appearances of his resurrected body. And so we must die to sin and repentance. We must obey the gospel message in form. And we do that when we believe who Jesus is. We repent of our sins and we call on his name by arising, getting up, and being baptized and washing away our sins. And God operates the working of God. He washes us clean in the blood of Jesus. Revelation 1 verse 5. Well, I hope you've gotten something out of this. May we not be people of rejection and rebellion. 
Rejection and rebellion only lead to chaos and to death. It's a very, very sad scenario to think about. And there will be more of this in the Gospel of Matthew to come, where Jesus deals with a group of people who rejected him, who rebelled against God, and the consequences that came from that. Matthew 21, 43 and 44. We'll get to that, Lord willing, in time to come. Again, let's look at him and his principles, his power and his person. And may we have faith and may we be thankful for who he is and for what he's done. Thank you so much for listening to the Aaron J. Dodson podcast. And if you got anything out of this, if it benefited you, do me a favor and give me a review on whatever venue you're listening, whether it be Apple um, Podcast, Spotify, uh, whether it be on Pod, Podbean, Facebook, whatever it is, click like, click love, make a comment. That will help in the algorithms. It will help put this material before other people. And do me a favor also, please share this if you got something out of it. God bless, and thank you for continuing this study of Matthew with me. I'll catch you next time.